This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Pistown in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Breaking news out of the White House today. John Bolton was shit-canned. Trump tweeting out that he had fired John Bolton. John Bolton tweeting out that actually he had resigned the night before. I uh, I am wagging my finger at all the so-called leftists who are laughing at this, even though the impact on materialism is negligible. <laughs> there are people who uh, have styled their politics during the Trump years on the claim that Trump is somehow a dove. So they look through every little thing Trump does through this lens. Oh, look, Trump's trying to end war. So this is a good day for them because they see Trump firing Bolton as proof that Trump is some sort of dove, even though Trump obviously fired Bolton for some trivial reason like Bolton just annoys him, or he finally had enough of Bolton's mustache, or for the same reason that Rex Tillerson was fired, Trump just got tired of being the second hottest guy in the room. (laughs) Trump is playing 13-dimensional chess with the deep state by uh, firing a guy that he hired (laughs) and kept on board for a very long time, leading him down roads such as uh, the ongoing attempted coup in Venezuela uh, heightened tensions with Iran, but hopefully maybe those can now be easily reversed now. But yeah, it's, this this it, was not a clash of worldviews here. I mean, just to even think that Trump has some sort of worldview or coherent approach to how the world should work is laughable. All that makes Trump tick is who's complimenting him, where he can spend his money and where he can stick his dick. Like that is Trump's worldview right there. And I can guarantee you that John Bolton wasn't getting in the way of that. Uh, also, again, to extrapolate some sort of uh, some sort of great motive to Trump for firing Bolton, who, again, he hired in the first place and kept on board. I'm going to I'm going to save you from this. Uh, from from this from this uh, rabid badger that I'm also going to release in your apartment for like 17 months. Uh, all right, moving on from uh, one psychopathic warmonger to another. Yeah, Benjamin Netanyahu is rolling out his uh, more of his election campaign platform, which involves annexing most of the West Bank. He's just coming right out to say it, and. Uh, uh, just full on the whole ethnic cleansing genocide thing. And uh, it's very bad, folks. It's bad. bad. The logical conclusion of Trump uh, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and... That's it. That's all I have to say. The two-state solution is definitely dead, though. It's, It's... it's been dead. Hey, if you like this show, if you listen to the newscast regularly, consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash district sentinel, five bucks a month. You get access to all the newscasts and content we put out every week. You also get your own haiku written for you in red on the air. We're going to read some poetry later on on today's show. But uh, consider whatever you can spare. 
whatever you can spare a month, uh, we'll take it. It helps keep this little news co-op in piss town going. And we very much appreciate it. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. It's Tuesday, September 10th, 2019. Here's the news. Senate Appropriations Subcommittee today advanced a nearly $700 billion military spending bill only days after the Pentagon, at the behest of the Trump administration, announced it would divert billions of dollars from its budget to instead help Trump construct his stupid border wall. Democrats on the panel could have offered up amendments during the markup this morning to change the funding levels or at least handcuff the president's ability to circumvent Congress and use funds not appropriated for a border wall to then build a border wall. Instead, the ranking member on the committee, Dick Durbin, promised to kick the can until Thursday when the spending bill is considered then before the full appropriations committee. This year, The Department of Defense has used the transfer authority in this bill to redirect $2.5 billion to the wall, a funding item that was never proposed to Congress or this committee. Days ago, another $3.6 billion diverted from important military construction projects around the country to fund more of the president's wall construction. The cancellation of these projects is based on a national emergency declared by the president that was rejected on its face by both houses of Congress in bipartisan votes. Congress cannot and should not be silent. I will not offer any amendments today to address the wall and reprogramming, but I'm certain my colleagues and I will be ready on Thursday in full committee. (laughs) Congress must not be silent. I'm going to be silent today. Uh, Maybe we'll get around to this on Thursday. You've had like six weeks of summer vacation Presumably not all of it spent on vacation because Congress goes on recess like every two weeks. And this is the best you can you could do when you come back. Yeah, it's it's even worse actually. This stand that Durbin took, strictly rhetorically, he wasn't gonna offer any amendments to do anything. He weakened that down considerably after the hearing was over. A hot mic picked up a further exchange between Durbin and the subcommittee's chairman, Richard Shelby. In it, Durbin talks about how pained he is to possibly have to take a stand against the defense spending bill on Thursday. And he urges Shelby to talk to Mitch McConnell about working together. Seriously, uh, listen to this. Thank you, Dave. I just don't play. We're first up. Unfortunately, we've got a target on our backs because we're not. But you and I really do work well together. I know. And I, I don't want to jeopardize humor about 30 minutes ago. I don't want to jeopardize I want to do it. I want to do it. You know it ain't me. You I know, know it ain't. I'm going to do everything I, I, I can. I don't want to be in a spot on Thursday where I'm doing something that breaks my heart. I know that. Breaks my heart. I'm going to talk to McConnell and... Uh, and you talk to Schumer, and let's see if we can get together. Let's, let's not waste any time. I'm, I'm with you. Thank you. I, I'm just shattered if my working relationship with Senator Shelby has to be less than collegial. That is that is the real victim yeah. of of this entire thing. Yeah, yeah. Shelby, who is the chairman of this committee, claims, oh, I don't have any power in this. You know, I just don't have any power in this. And Durbin agrees with him. Clearly, both Democrats and Republicans love military spending. No surprise that no one objects to advancing this bill. Democrats, though, could have made a big issue about the illegal money transfers to fund a border wall. Republicans certainly would have if the money was being used for, say, fighting climate change. But Durbin allowed the bill to move forward anyway. That right there is the fundamental difference between the two parties. 
not so much ideology, not the underlying bill and the defense spending, but how each party wields power. A lot of other shit things in this $695 billion war machine bill, by the way, that of course Democrats agree with, including plans to expand the number of active duty service members to 1.3 million. Also, there's money to buy 14 new battleships. And guess what? 96 new F-35 fighter jets because of fucking course. Well, maybe there's also a lot of funding uh, to deploy some sort of weather weapon whereby it will never rain again. Mm. In which case those, those F-35s can be put to use. Uh, the Census Bureau released data today showing income growth slowing down last year. Median household income was up 0.9% to $63,179. The Bureau said this was, quote, not statistically different from the 2017 median following three consecutive years of annual increases, end of quote. The agency found simultaneously that real median earnings of workers were up by 3.4%, slightly more impressive growth. The stagnating income number, however, does not bode well for future earnings growth, a recession is just around the corner. Just around the corner. Uh, better get ready to find out where those WeWork repo auctions are going to be. Because <laughs> a silver lining of the recession might be that uh, WeWork, uh, a bullshit company that is probably going broke very soon, will have to sell all of its stuff. Probably not. They'll just keep funneling money into <laughs> it because that's our hell economy. I was looking up Podshare today, you know, that company that offers people a bunk for 1200 bucks a month like one bunk in a warehouse full of bunks college dorm basically that, yeah that's the next company we're going to be talking about on the show that's lost a billion dollars but continues to operate it, it'll be saved by some future gimby politician who, yeah. who honestly this that is a scam though like who 12 we live in one of the most expensive cities uh in the country here in washington dc I am sharing a one-bedroom apartment and don't pay anywhere close to twelve hundred bucks a fucking month. Who can afford to spend twelve hundred bucks a month to, for a bunk? <laughs> like this is just rich kids who are paying for some sort of dorm life experience. This is this is this is to cater toward rich kids who also love drum circles and shit. Well, uh, what's this company called? Podshare. Yeah. It's Podshare, right? Yeah. Well, if Podshare has uh, cold coffee brew kegs just like WeWork, maybe you can snatch some of those up in the repo auction. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, lo I'm looking to get some of that cool-ass WeWork shit when that place goes bankrupt. There's got to be some cool shit uh, on sale. at the Anyway, the Census Bureau also found that the number of people in poverty last year dropped by half a percentage point to 11.5%, though this really doesn't mean very much. The federal government kept the poverty line at $12,784 for an individual. So if you live by yourself and made $12,785 in 2018, the year of our Lord, the United States government does not consider you in poverty. <laughs> you, you could barely afford your... Uh, your pod space or whatever. What's it called? Like a pod share. Pod share. I've tried to not remember that name because eventually I will have to forget it when it goes bankrupt, but I digress. Uh, for the record, by the way, the poverty line for a family of four in the United States is $12,701. 
The full-time equivalent wage for this is $13.38. So if you're a single mom supporting three kids on $15 an hour wages for 40-hour work weeks, you were also, congratulations, also officially above the poverty line last year, according to the U.S. government. Another thing to consider about the latest poverty rate stats, we're at the end of an economic expansion time, and still more than one in 10 Americans are officially in poverty by an incredibly weak definition. Not good, folks. This country, not good. No argument here. Next up, the Government Accountability Office, an internal watchdog, is urging the Agriculture Department to do more about the nation's troubling food labeling system. Every year, enormous amounts of food are wasted, and one of the reasons for that, according to research cited by GAO in its report this week, is consumers unsure of what the labeling on the food means. Currently, the federal government plays no role in regulating food date labels, except when it comes to baby formula. All other types of date labels are regulated at the state or tribal level or just simply applied by food producers to help retailers. As a result, you end up with a patchwork of food date labels. You've seen all the different kinds, I'm sure. Sell by a certain date, use by a certain date, best by a certain date, enjoy by, user freeze by, fresh until, expires on. There's a lot of different labels. And several studies conducted show that consumers are confused by them. Heck, I'm confused by them often. What does use by mean? Like, should you not use past that date how long after the sell-by date is the food still good for that's a big question mark that is a big question mark reading from the report quote three studies estimated that from 34 to 70 percent of consumers think that their risk of foodborne illness increases if they consume a packaged food product past the date label so a third just rip it open and smell it like that should be on the label Rip it open and smell it. I mean, obviously not for the sell-by stuff. The sell-by, you can't really rip it open and smell yeah. it and then resell it. But for for the consumer level, rip it open and smell it. And if that label was on the thing, maybe there would be less waste. I mean, I'm bad about this, personally. If I have see, I've seen my refrigerator... Fridge, yeah. Well, not bad about like, okay, that too, maybe not cleaning my refrigerator like I should, but I'm also bad where if I see something in my fridge and like the expiration date was yesterday, I won't eat it. It's fucked up, dude. Just rip it open and smell it. You need a government label to tell you that it's okay to at least rip it open and smell it. Well, as I, a result, I do admit, though, that can lead to some unpleasant smells. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. I one time Stop. drank, I one time smelled sour milk, and it, <laughs> it, I, I won't smell anything to test as a result. Okay, milk, you can sort of like, you can sort of wish it around like it's a glass of uh, red wine, and then you can get, you can sort of feel the sediment at the bottom. You can feel the lumps. You don't have to yeah. smell it, maybe, but seriously, dude, smell, smell it. Well, a third of the that should be the, that should be the USDA's. Uh, just smell it, man. Just smell it. <laughs> just smell it. A third of all the food produced in the U.S. eventually goes to waste. A third. That's a lot of food that goes to waste, partially a result of the confusing labels. GAO recommended more coordination between the USDA and other stakeholders to clear up label confusion. The USDA concurred with the recommendation. I don't know, though. Confusing food labeling might be by design. I think of it as like food producers and retailers 
doing planned obsolescence for their food, so mm. they just have to keep selling more. Mm, yeah, that that cheese is a. Uh, is six hours old. You're gonna have to throw out. You're gonna, you're gonna have to throw have to it out. Buy, buy some cheese. more. Buy some more cheese. A third. A third of food is wasted. If you suddenly didn't produce a third of a food, a food, that's a lot less. Yeah. Money for big ag and retailers. And Indeed, everything. it is. Indeed, it is. Finally, the Trump administration recently released plans to privatize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the two government-sponsored enterprises that guarantee mortgages on wholesale markets. The pair were rescued amid the financial crisis and have been in public ownership since. The push to get corporate finance to take over from Fannie and Freddie could make home ownership even more out of reach than it already is for most Americans. This is complicated because on one hand, ownership culture sucks. On the other, home ownership is like the main way that workers accumulate savings in the United States to retire. It also means less money for landlords more homeowners that you have if they uh, live and if they occupy the one house they own, they don't need a landlord. So it undermines landlords. That's good. We do eventually need some kind of collectively managed housing situation uh, where no one truly owns homes or land, in my opinion. Uh, In the meantime, though, market-driven approaches to mortgage financing, not going to (laughs) help. It will not help. As Politico noted, the heart of the plan involves Fannie and Freddie accumulating capital to become more attractive to investors for an eventual privatization. The paper noted left-leaning Democrats are worried about borrowers getting squeezed in the process. And this certainly appears to be what the donor class wants. As the Financial Times noted, quote, several hedge funds have big positions in the minority of shares of Fannie and Freddie, and they have been advocating reprivatization for years. Look, these companies aren't getting involved because they freaking love putting people in homes, okay? People are going to get squeezed from this. Anyway, the Senate Banking Committee held a hearing on the matter today featuring Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Ranking Democrat Sherrod Brown asked them what President Trump thinks about the plan. Here's how that went. Question to the two of you. Has the president approved your plan? We We have briefed the president and he has accepted the plans. He has approved it. Well, I, I believe he's accepted, approved. Let me ask the question. Has he approved the plan? Yes or no? Uh, I don't know if he explicitly approved the plan. We'll get back that to you. Secretary we, Carson. We, we, we briefed the president and he accepted the plans. So you handed it to him and he said, thank you for the plan. Okay. No, not we handed it to him. We briefed him. Okay. The secretary and I went through and extensively briefed him. Okay. Okay. I get it. Secretary plans. Carson. Uh, I agree. <laughs> First of all, you have to love how Mnuchin was like, in no way whatsoever did we hand this plan to the president who can't read more than a single paragraph at a time without having a total meltdown. On uh, the other, you got to love Ben Carson just being like, teacher, call on someone else there. That, that, yeah, I like he yeah, responded with the wrong construction of an answer to the question. I agree. It was a yes or no question. So, clear evidence of administration dysfunction there, perhaps, but more importantly, perhaps evidence of actually reasonable doubt on behalf of our property-obsessed president. Here is Sherrod Brown once again. Is it possible he didn't improve the plan because he and his in-depth knowledge of finance and all things government knows they'll make mortgages more expensive and harder to get? Perhaps. I, I just... 
you know, if the GSEs and FHA cut out their most profitable lines of business and still have to cover their cost, they'll have to raise rates on the borrowers who are left. I mean, that's, that's clear. It seems to me that you can't come here and say the president approved the plan, even though he wanted the, the whole process was be so, would be so that he approved it, because the whole argument comes down to trust Wall Street. Just trust Wall Street doesn't really work these days. Now, Brown, he could be onto something like the only thing that Trump appears to actually know about is housing finance. Yeah, I and think it's also still a bit of a stretch, but yeah. maybe. Yeah, true, true. Could, Trump, Trump's like chemical imbalance was off or something that day or he was yeah, annoyed it, about John Bolton's mustache. Or it, it, it's probably distracted with it. It's probably more likely he didn't explicitly approve of it because he was watching Fox News yeah. or something. <laughs> It does it does sort of raise a huge question mark if they're going through with this hearing and the president hasn't actually explicitly approved of it. But uh, I don't know. So uh, just to reiterate, the current mortgage finance situation is not great, even without the privatization push. Here's Republican Senator John Kennedy questioning Federal Housing Finance Agency Director Mark Calabria. And Kennedy possibly unintentionally gets the newly on-the-job Calabria to trash the Trump administration's oversight of loan approval. Have underwriting standards gotten any, uh, any more realistic? They've gotten worse, not better. Certainly at the GSEs, we saw a massive expansion in the last two years at least where a whole lot of high income, high DTI loans were done that weren't previously being done. So underwriting standards have eroded. Yeah, that's what I thought. And it concerns me greatly. <laughs> I do love the cursory. And it concerns me greatly. A DTI, for the record, is debt-to-income ratio. So the underwriting standards on the debt-to-income ratio, uh, not great. Echoes of the subprime mortgage stuff. And evidently, this he said, over the last two years, Calabria's only been on the job five months. So minus two years from that, and this is this is under the uh, Trump administration's purview. So extremely good. And the next recession, it's it's going to rule. It's definitely going to rule. Just to reiterate, that is the newscast for today. As promised, we've now reached the poetry portion of the show. All new subscribers at Patreon.com/slash/DistrictSentinel get their own haiku written for them and read on the air. This is for Justin. Oranges, apples, violating the one rule. Never compare fruit. Thank you, Justin. This one is for burned cake. A cold air enters. It's the ghost of Barbara Bush. Hockey season nears. Thank you, burned cake. This is for Michael. An Aussie podcast about the issues she loves. Good day, racism. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I saw you fighting yourself to not just do the whole haiku in an Australian accent. <laughs> Finally, this is for Paul. Enough, you whiners. Cancel culture's gone too far. John Bolton was canned. Thank you. Paul. Yes, thank you, Paul. And thank you to all the new subscribers over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. If you subscribe tonight, you can get a haiku on tomorrow's show. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on air. We will be back 
tomorrow. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. 